Okay, well, let's jump into the text. Uh, the Lord is our commander, uh, and so we talk to him, we, we uh, spend time listening to him, and he, he tells us to follow, and as we follow, what do we do? Take up our what? Take up our cross and follow. And, and so as we say, let's follow him, and we finish a whole series of focusing on the cross, Golgotha, as Jesus comes and takes up his cross and says, come follow me. We also take up our cross. And that taking up of the cross is, is dying to self. It doesn't mean necessarily living in the desert and eating grasshoppers. Uh, but it does mean dying to everything that I desire for myself and saying, Lord Jesus, every day, Lord Jesus, you're my commander and I listen to you. That begins the first day. He took up his cross and followed Jesus. That meant unusual for our culture, unusual difficulty. As you know, though, historically, that's been more the norm, hasn't it? As someone takes up their cross and follows Jesus, they know that they're taking up a very difficult road. Western Christianity is so different from historic Christianity. And even today, all over the world, that was in Texas. Even today, all over the world, people that are turning to Jesus as Savior are turning to a life of great difficulty. But they know that they are called to follow through the gospel. Jesus calls us to follow too, and it's the same life. We too, Lord and Savior Jesus. And so he gives us eternal life absolutely free. But we give to him our lives in exchange. This then turns into a mission. A mission not only to receive him, but also to share this same message with others. And so we follow him as we tell others about him. We've walked through the five points. I think it's just the first three points of this so far. You can read his uh, Nasser's story, Jumping Through Fire, is an encouraging biography. Actually, his family does, uh, does follow Jesus as well. Um, the follower's initial response is to worship Jesus, and as we worship Jesus, then we respond in following him with his great command, the great commission. The basis for that command, we looked at last time, the basis for obeying Jesus' command is that what all authority has been given to him, right? I don't have to obey you in one sense, because you're not my authority, now, in one sense, it's a Baptist church, so, so actually, uh, in one sense, I do. I, I uh, follow the, the church as the church decides, makes decisions as a corporate body. Um, but you know what? Uh, in one sense, Jesus is the only head of the church, right? And so we're all following him. All authority has been given to Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth. That's the basis for his command to tell us what to do. So what are we to do? Well, the movement of the command is going. Right, i got to get off my couch, and i got to get going. Because he has all authority, the movement of the command is to go. And the actual command of the command is what? Go and make disciples. Good. Yeah, Go and make disciples of all the nations. And as we saw last time, what a better spot. There's not a better spot in the world to do this than where we are right now. Right, this is why I moved here from Brooklyn. Uh, surveyed every zip code. Did you know they surveyed every zip code in New York City and tried to find the most diverse spots in all of New York City? I took like 100 hours on that um, as I was a security guard 
at midnights and tried to find the areas that were the most diverse. And we found this little little pocket, I think just east of us, I'm sorry, just west of us. It is a, a little more of a melting pot, but I found uh, some good local churches there. So, so here we are, a uh, great spot to be, to be a disciple maker, make disciples of all the nations. We saw that's following Jesus, encouraging others to be part of his Talmudim, to, to take up their cross and follow him as well. Well, what does that look like? And so now we get to the text, kind of where we are today. What would that look like? What does it mean to be in Jesus's Talmudim? He has all authority. How do I follow him? Right? What does that look like? You can go into churches and that looks so different based on whatever church you go to. Uh, let's see. How can I make followers of Jesus? What are some actions that I can do that will make followers of Jesus? Maybe I could rent a smoke machine and hire a very famous celebrity, maybe a very famous musician, Andrew Snavely. I'm sorry, brother. No. Uh, pack the house out. There. That would do it. What if, we, what if we found someone who was a very famous football player? That would do it. Maybe we could find, maybe we could even hire Nicodemus. Very respected religious leader. Maybe we could find a Roman gladiator. Their life didn't quite match up, but maybe we could rent out a Colosseum and do that. Is that what the early church did? Absolutely not. Pop culture is not the shortcut to obey this command. Does it mean getting everyone to part our hair the same way and wear the same exact clothes? Perhaps wearing a specific tunic or something else that reflects our strictness. No, controlling religious externals is not the way to make disciples. What activities, what actions would we incorporate in our plan if we were to carry out Jesus' commission? There's two big circles under which all of this has to come. All of this has to fall under two things, two activities, right foot, left foot, of making disciples of the nations, and it's right in your text. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What are the actions of making disciples? What is it to make disciples? Jesus tells us. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to go to church leadership seminars or find, which they could be helpful, all this is helpful, whatever, by... And hey, you know what? If a so, if, if famous football player gets saved, we're happy to have him. Baptizing them, first of all, is the first, and then teaching them. So those ing words are really the means, the actions that spell out what it is to make disciples. This first one is baptizing. First action of following Jesus, baptizing. This is what we are to be about. The Greek word is baptizo. I often don't throw out Greek words, but I do throw it out here because for some reason, those who are translating our Bible into English chose not to translate that word. I have no idea why they didn't. They translate every other English word there, and they chose not to translate. Actually, I do know why. Because at that time, they were not, when they were translating this into English, they were not using uh, the, the word, what the word means, 
in their baptism practices, so their tradition changed the way they translated. So instead of translating that word, they just said, let's put it into English. Baptizing. Baptizing. Okay? But actually the word means to dip. It means to emerge or submerge. That's actually what the word would mean if they translated it. Go therefore, make disciples of the nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what the word means. All right? So, this is the first step. It seems important. It's put right there in the Great Commission. Look at that. I mean, how many more words do you have and it's the end of Matthew? That's it. So Jesus is repeatedly sharing this in all of his appearances. This is what you should be doing. Baptizing. Now, if we were sitting there in their little group, maybe 20 folks or so, maybe 30 folks as Jesus is sharing this, what would have come to their minds? Somebody give me a couple ideas. What would have come to their minds as they sat there? After a couple things. John in the Jordan River. Yeah. John comes and, and he's baptizing all over. And what is he saying? What's a big theme? Saying, repent, turn from your sin. Acknowledge that's not all right between you and God. And that was kind of unusual, right? The idea is a very strict religious person. I don't need to repent. Well, I need to repent? Yes, you need something different, right? Just obeying the, the Torah is not, you just, you need to repent. So that would be a big concept. And, and, and yet Jesus, disciple, Jesus baptized more disciples than John. Um, so that, that's a big idea. Another big idea would have been this. Um, this is actually found all over. No, no this, is, I, this, is, this is graphics. But, but this is found all over uh, Jerusalem, all over the ancient uh, Israel. These little mikvahs. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, little, little ritual dunk tanks uh, that, that anytime somebody was... Uh, unclean, they would go and dip themselves. They would dip themselves in this little pool. And, and actually, wealthy families would have their own. Uh, they would have their own uh, spot in which they could dip themselves. And, and it, was, it was a dunk tank that symbolized, I, I need cleansing. I need cleansing. So this was so common in their culture. Uh, it was so common all around the temple you find these. Um, and uh, it's saying, I, I need cleansing. Then John comes on the scene, and he starts baptizing people, saying, you need to be baptized in this way, following him. And he says, now you all follow Jesus. And so th this is what this is happening. Everybody starts following this Jesus, following his teaching, this rabbi, being baptized into his name. And so all of them had been dunked in water uh, into Jesus' name. Uh, following him, saying, I am no longer going my own way. I take up my cross and I follow him. And so he says, baptize these, right? make disciples. Well, how do I make people disciples? Well, I, first step is baptizing them, baptizing them, um, baptizing them in the name of what? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's this Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity. Baptizing them into, right, the text is into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we find another uh, case in your New Testament where the Trinity is just clearly seen here in this 
foundational formula for uh, baptism. If you're taking notes, you could write down a few of these other ones. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Ephesians 1, and then Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14. 1 Peter 1, 2. And Revelation 1, 4 through 6. I say all that just to say, like this Trinitarian formula of Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one God, comes up repeatedly in your New Testament. And you find it here as someone is being baptized. They're baptized into the name. Now the name is holy. And so it's something that, that someone would not even want to say. And so as you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What helps me with understanding this phrase is a parallel idea where Jesus says, where two or three meet, and what does he say? In my name, there I am in the midst. And so, and so it's a similar construction. Like, what does it mean to be baptized into the name of? Does it mean I'm, I'm, I'm not baptized into water? I'm, I'm baptized into God? No, no, it, it means just like you... Our meeting, two or three, we have from two to three thousand here, because more than two and less than three thousand. So we have we have two to three in and we're meeting in Jesus' name. And he's here. How how is it that I'm meeting in his name? We are meeting for his purposes. We're meeting to worship him. So someone who is being baptized into his name, it's really talking about being baptized now. Now I'm publicly declaring that my life is placed under the purpose of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The purpose of this God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. My life is about Him. I'm dying to self and I'm following Him. And so there is this picture, even by immersion, the buried, I'm dying to self, I'm raised to live for Him. Now, as soon as someone professes Jesus as Savior... There is a spiritual sense in which they have done this. They have placed themselves into the body of Christ. But Jesus says, go beyond that. I want you to publicly portray that uh, through this, this uh, baptism. All right, And so this is what our church, church does. Right? We just, uh, uh, for any of you who have trusted in Jesus as Savior, um, and, and maybe you've done that week or maybe the last year or maybe the last five years Jesus is commanding you tell everybody have a party tell everybody you know what I am not clean in myself and I needed someone else to cleanse me and I am now following Father Son and Holy Spirit all right and, and so so you go there we go into water we could do it if you guys want we could do it in the in the in the Hudson not the Hudson well we, uh, the Manhattan Beach I'd love to do that um, or, or we could, we, we'd usually just do it in a, at a church, but, uh, this is almost big enough to do it here. You just fill this up with water. Uh, we'd probably get in trouble though, but this is important, right? Let's, let's follow him in this way. So uh, remember a, a young man, a young Jewish man, you guys remember, uh, Jesus, he actually, uh, converted to Orthodox Judaism. And as he converted to an Orthodox Judaism in Kew Gardens, he was baptized uh, 
same idea. There, there was this, this, this identification with Judaism that was symbolized with water immersion. But he said they often did that. Often they would just get up as they're studying Torah, let's go and baptize ourselves. Um, and, and so th- that's the same culture even to this day. Uh, you all know Doug Pyle, uh, he started meeting with Jesus and, and, and gave to him this book of prophecies about how Jesus is Messiah. And, and Jesus believed in Jesus as his savior. And then he was baptized at our church. See, so it's not the dunking underwater. That's not it. The issue is, who are you following now? Who are you dead to and who are you following now? Who are you trusting in as Savior? Water, like, whatever. The issue is, whose are you now? Well, Christ is my commander, so I'm baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit, and I'm following him. One of the ladies in the church just recently shared to me that she received Christ here a grace, even though she had been baptized as a child, and 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 so, but but you know what? I was I, I actually profess Christ here at church, so she's ready to get baptized. Um, well, like we may need to do this in June. I welcome as many of you, if you've never been baptized in water into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, please talk to me, and we'll walk through a few more a few more details in this. But but this is. Personal, confessional. I am trusting, I'm confessing Jesus as Lord, and I'm ready to tell everybody about it. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It just means you're ready to make that commitment to follow him. Uh, and this is the first step. Uh, you can't get to page two until you finish page one. And, and so this is action one. All of us should have this in our history. I, I profess Jesus as my Savior. Yes, individually, as I was on my knees, uh, or after the service during the prayer, but I made a public profession of it publicly to everybody to let them know what was happening to me inside. But you know what? After that, I uh, started reading theology with Jesus on a, a weekly basis. Right? We went through Grudem's Systematic Theology because it's, that's the, the first step is not enough. We move from that to what? To teaching. It goes beyond... We don't leave these folks alone who profess faith in Jesus. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the second big one is teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So what should the church be all about? What should my life be all about? Following Jesus. Absolutely. Take up your cross and follow him. Let's follow him. What does that look like? I'm making disciples. right? Not of me of Jesus, not of a denomination, of Jesus. We're all following. It doesn't matter what you call yourself, except a follower of Christ, obeying his word. Okay? I'm following him in the waters of baptism, Matthew 28, 19, but also I am encouraging folks to listen to what he says. Verse 20, I'm teaching them, teaching them. Um, and, and so often the, the Bible uses so many different verbs, words, for kind of the, the public, uh, private instruction. And so there's exhorting, uh, there's coming alongside and encouraging, but one very, very common one is this teaching. I'm teaching. I'm, I'm 
passing along information. Right? Now, now in that, again, in that culture, that, that may be walking along the way, teaching along the way. That might be in Sunday school class. That might be my small group. That might be my children. Uh, that might be the fellows. That's why we have fellowship meals. All of these things, we get together and we teach each other. We, we speak the truth in love to one another. It's not necessarily even that I never knew that. I need someone else telling me these truths all the time. Because my flesh is going to tell me lies. I'm going to tell me lies. The world's going to tell me lies. Satan's going to tell me lies. I need you. I do. I need you to teach me. I need you to teach me every week. Social media with texts, with emails. Tim, I just saw this in Scripture. This is for all of us to do for one another. And so we're to be teaching him. Now, this is where it gets difficult. Teaching them what? To observe, to obey, and then also teaching them to observe what? All. Wow. We get another one of the alls. You remember all the alls? All authority has been given. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I'm with you always. And so there's this all aspect to this. How do we know what Jesus has taught? Jesus is saying this. He wants you, this is you, own this. I realize it's our church as well, but this is, this is a group of individuals who've come into this room, but all of us should own this for ourselves from our commander. How am I to know what Jesus has taught me so that I can teach my children or so that I can teach my friends or so that I can encourage them in this way? How do we know what this is? Do I need to be just searching for truth out there that Jesus may have said? Is this from dreams maybe, maybe maybe god speaks to me in a dream and that's what i should say maybe a vision jesus speaks to me in a vision and that's what i should say well if that's what you're looking for then then you you kind of can fit in the category of joseph smith too because joseph smith saw some visions and he made mormon theology and it gets really weird right and so so i would say don't do that Let's limit ourselves to what Jesus has said. And so, John 14, 26, he says this to his disciples. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Okay? So Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he says the Holy Spirit's going to come And he's going to remind you all that I said to you, all that I commanded. And here it is. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to fish. You don't have to wing it. It's right here. This is all that Jesus has commanded to us. So that's why we've spent the last two years together as a church going through an exposition of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and now the life and ministry of Christ. Why? Because he's told us to do this. It's important. We don't just see what's coming out next on Zondervan that looks like it might get a lot of people. Or it might be winsome. I do think we sense the needs of one another, right? We do sense that. 
But also, more importantly, we think, very big picture, what is all that Christ has commanded? And how can we as a church carefully go through that? Um, and so we should desire to be comprehensive. Uh, as a church, we do this through expositional preaching. Right? This is what we're doing. Word by word, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, through these words that the Holy Spirit has breathed out through those folks that Jesus was talking to. I think second of all, we do this through encouraging each other to be listening to the commands on our own. And, and so I just encourage you again, you really need to be in the word, not just each Sunday here, but every day. Listening to all that Jesus has commanded means sitting down and reading the Bible for yourself, right? And, and if you're not doing that, you will be, you'll be wandering from him. But then thirdly, let me just say this as our church, we, we really were, I was very convicted as I was preaching through Ephesians 4, kind of tells how this should be done in the church. And, and at the time, uh, I was doing a lot of this, and our assistant pastor was doing a lot of this. This was uh, before Pastor Andrew was here. He did not make this mistake. This was my mistake. Uh, in Ephesians 4, I'm reading, and it's like, you know what? The pastors and teachers are given to the church to equip the church to teach one another. And so we really recognize that, that delegation is key with this. That, that you all are the instrument that teaches one another. Really the way this works best is when everyone at Grace is encouraging each other by speaking the truth to one another in love. Right? Ephesians 4 clearly states that. Um, and, and so just... just don't zone out. This is so important. Please let me read this and, and let it sink in. And Jesus gave some, and he's talking about church leadership, as apostles and prophets. I would say they're the ones that were writing the texts of the New Testament. And some evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now what are those leaders doing? They are for this purpose. For the equipping of the saints. A saint is not someone who dies who is really pious. Everyone who believes in Jesus is a saint. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. And so we are all building each other up. As verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, as you share the truth with your friend here at Grace, you share the gospel, they grow a little bit more like Jesus. As you share the fruit of the spirit of patience, they grow to be a little bit more like Jesus. And they share with you, and you grow to be a little bit more like Jesus. And to be honest, all of us need to keep growing in every aspect of Christ's likeness until we see him. I will always need the church body. I will always need you to be sharing with me the truths about Jesus to grow in every way. I will never be glorified until I die. Um, but by God's grace, we'll keep growing and growing and growing. And so this happens organically. It really does. Um, but Ephesians 4 says the pastors are to be organizing this, motivating it, talking about it. And so every year I preach on this. Now it came up in this series. And it's kind of right at a time where we're finishing our current series on Christology. 
and we're beginning another one. We'll finish Christology in May. We have three more sessions on that, and then we'll begin a new one on 1 John. Um, this is what this is, okay? And, and I'll just show this. There's a much more detailed one we did as we, we started thinking carefully about this. A five-year turns more into a seven-year. But we're trying. I'm not saying we're doing great. I'm just saying I've got to try. Pastor Andrew has to try as pastors. Suggest, okay? Show how this could be better, please. Um, but if you'll see here, right, series one is beginning. All of those are the baptizing ones. They are all designed to help people know who Jesus is. Just describing what the gospel is. The Ten Commandments that teach us to come to Christ as our schoolmaster. All of that is bringing us to salvation. Then when we're, we're baptized, we get this new believers one. Welcome to the family that summarizes the rest of these. And, and so as you go out today... You'll see that. You'll see, we, have, we set it up every Sunday to say, look, we're making disciples of the nations, and this is where we're headed with this. Okay? So, so I realize we could, you could do this on your own with someone at work and never be a part of a church. Okay. But you know what? God, God continues to teach that he wants us to organize ourselves this way under one another and encourage each other this way. Um, and so it is important. So, we'll be finishing, actually, we, we try to do these, these two together, where one is by teachers in the church, teaching two classes, and then the other arm of this is where the church divides up into groups of three or four, and the church does this to one another. Um, and we were trying to do both of those at once, and it was just overwhelming. So right now, we're doing the teaching, where we have classes, phenomenal teachers here at Grace, so thankful for the teachers God has given us. Right, I don't teach that. I love listening to our teachers. And, then, uh, and then, then after this, in June, we'll split up into small groups and we'll recognize that all of us are to be discipling one another, not just those gifted at teaching. And, and so this curriculum is written so that you can go through this, even if you're not a teacher, and say, hey, let's just get together and go through these, this next 10 pages. And so everyone's organized that way. And, and again, this is just coming straight from this command. I need to be Bible-driven. So what should my life be about? Making disciples of the nations. Okay, how am I going to do that? First of all, beginning. Encouraging people to believe. And so we have these seven potted plants and we're kind of getting the word out all, all around our community. As people become believers, believing in Jesus, trusting in him, then starts this teaching them everything that Christ commands. Um, okay. Look, we got ten more minutes, Okay. And it was a really comforting rest of the sermon. I'm just going to pause here, though, because this is more of a family setting. What, any questions or thoughts about that? Questions about that? Let's throw out a question. Anything at all? All right, I have a, a couple hands that are... Questions? Yeah, any questions, thoughts, yeah. Good question. And look at the church's teaching. Right? Uh, no, no, this is something Jesus commands. Yeah. So, but. Okay. 
Yeah, so we think of some examples where, where uh, the thief on the cross, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. So the question is, do you have to be baptized in water to go to heaven? Um, and, and we would say, say no, right? This is a command of Jesus, but we're always relying on the Spirit for cleansing, the Spirit for forgiveness. And actually, uh, as we, we continue to kind of develop this through the New Testament, uh, and, and we'll have a class on this before someone's baptized in water, we recognize that water baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is actually a picture of something that happens spiritually that you can't see. Everyone who trusts in Jesus as Savior is placed into the body of Christ. You become a toenail or an eyeball or an eyelash. It's a spiritual concept of being immersed through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the active person who immerses you into the spiritual body of Jesus, which is the church. All of you have that, whether you've been dunked in water or not. And the dunking in water is just saying... I, you know, I, I believe that, and I, and I trust it, but it also makes it more visible, and so we have to publicly display this, and so we follow Christ's command, absolutely. One more question, sir. Uh, let me get Danny, and then we'll, then we'll quickly move on, because I do need to finish, and the, the rest of this is very comforting. Okay, yeah, so it mirrors, it mirrors this ordinance of the old covenant of circumcision, saying I'm a part of the covenant community. This is the New Testament. I'm part of the covenant community, believing in Jesus uh, with baptism. Let, I'll take more questions afterwards. Any questions at all? How about this? I'll just meet down here afterwards. We have the Lord's table, but for 10 minutes, I'll take any questions you have about that. If you're interested in, in baptism, or you say, I don't know if I should or I shouldn't. Uh, it seems a little weird, whatever. Uh, that's fine. Just talk to me about it. Let's just be open about it, okay? And tell me what's on your heart. Okay. Now, the rest of this commission is so encouraging. So let's jump right into it. Um, this is important. This is what our church is about. But I tell you what, when you look around you at the needs of our community, and you recognize that this is a big part of what would solve all of the problems in our community, as people do submit their heart to Jesus as King and follow His commands to love one another, all of these vices and violence and usurping others' rights, and it all goes away because everybody is bowing to Jesus. And then I look around at the two million and just like, how are we going to do this? And honestly, they felt even more over... Next week is Mother's Day. We'll do something different, but the following week. Um, but Jesus says, listen, you can't do this. So there's this comforting truth accompanying it. I'm going to be with you. I, listen, I've got this. And, and we can't, especially if you're, you're someone who really likes to have everything under control, this can be difficult. And, and honestly, as, as, as I as a pastor gave a lot of this to our church to do, it was a little difficult. Like that person just got saved. Should they be discipling? Yes, they should. Peter, James, and John had just gotten saved and Jesus sent them out on mission. And, and so, so Jesus says, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've got this. I've got this. You're trying, Tim, but I'm the one doing it. You've got to try. Don't get lazy and sit down. But God is the one doing this through Jesus. And let's just expand that as a comforting truth to end this whole series. Um, Jesus says, listen, 
I, I realize I've come. Jesus has come. He has lived a perfect life. He's died a sacrificial death. He's ascending before the Father. And in one sense, he's there. But you know what? In another sense, I am with you. And so you have this comforting presence of Jesus. Uh, Jesus gives us a comforting presence. And lo, I am with you always. And lo. I don't know why we keep using that word. Lo. Does anyone? I don't use that word. I don't know why. Again, that's another one. I don't know why we translate it that way. The idea is behold. Listen. Jesus is being emphatic. I am with you. And then the, and the idea is I myself am with you. He uses the word I twice. I am. I am with you. This is totally different from the idea that there's a force out there. Let the force be with you. Or you feel some common energy with something above you. No. There is a very real person who loves you beyond any, anything that anyone could, could ever love. He loves you so much that he died for you. And that person, that very real person who suffered and bled, who cried tears of blood, is with you. Right now, Jesus is with us. I'm speaking this in his presence. That's why this is a fearful thing. But we live all of our lives in his presence. Now that's convicting, but you know what? He's not saying it in this case to be convicting. He's saying it in this case because I'm there to help you. That's what he's saying. It is his helpful presence. You feel overwhelmed today? I often do as a pastor. I often can feel overwhelmed. You feel overwhelmed with life. This is what he's telling those disciples. You guys feel so overwhelmed. Take it easy. I'm with you. I'm there. I'm the one who stilled the storm, who created the idea of storm, who created water, air, fire. I'm with you. May the Lord be with you. He's with you. And, and so I, I see these, these people writing about seeing Jesus, and, or, or maybe there's this napkin that has the imprint of his face, and I think it cheapens this. It cheapens this. It's a weak Christology. Do you recognize that right now Jesus himself is with you? When your spouse leaves you, Jesus is with you. When your parents pass away, Jesus is with you. He will... He will always be with you. This is why you can talk to him anytime. You don't need to go to a shrine. You don't need to go to a church even to talk to Jesus. He is with you at all times to help you, to comfort you. To help our church. And so that's why we pray. That's why it's so important. If you can make it Wednesday nights to pray, we just pour out our hearts and praying God's purposes. And you don't even have to come to the office. You can... Joined by Zoom, we, we really need to grow in our ability to pray for one another. Talk to him, because he's got this. It's just he's waiting for us to talk to him about it. But also, look, it's not just his presence. It's not just his helpful presence. It's his consistent, helpful presence. And lo, I am with you always. Uh, the, the, the original, let me read the original this way. I love how it says, uh, And behold, I with you I am all of the days, all of the days, I myself am with you. Every single one of the days, you have a lot of Mondays that are difficult. 
Jesus is with you all of the Mondays, all of the yesterdays, all of the tomorrows, even that day when you had that difficult pain that you felt like no one is with me. Jesus was with you. Love that picture captured in Thomas's poem. He had a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky, flash scenes for my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints, right? One belonging to me, one to the Lord. And the last scene of my life flashed before me. I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed many times along the path of my life, the very lowest and saddest days, times, there was only one set of footprints. This troubled me, and I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, You'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one foot set of footprints. I don't understand why when you, I needed you the most, you, you would leave me. Your precious child, I love you, will never leave you. Never even during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was I who carried you. So we face these times of overwhelming of, as a church, maybe obstacles around us that are too big. And we can just say, that's not my stress to carry. Lord, I roll it on you. This, is, this week of exams is too much to carry. This week at work is too much to carry. But maybe you weren't made to carry it. Maybe the Lord brought it there so you would fall on your face and on your knees and say, Lord, I need you to carry me. I can't carry this. And he says, I'm with you. I'm with you even in the overwhelming times that are out of our control. He is always with us. Because it's not just all the days. It's all the days to the end of the age, right? Consistent, helpful presence that's eternal. Eternal, consistent, helpful presence to do this. World without end. The Lord is with us until time will be no more. And again, everyone, every person may fail you, but the Lord will pick you up. Time will soon be done. Four laps of your life run. Our deepest joy remains, consistent through all days. The joyful help of Christ, who is with us all our life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's respond to him and thank him. Thank him for being with us. Maybe there's something very pressing in your life that you'd like to turn over to him now and ask him to carry that burden. That would be a joy to him. As you look up to your daddy and say, Lord, carry this. I can't carry it. I would, if it's the weight of sin, please do that now. Say, Lord, this sin, guilt, I can't take it. I, I give it to you. Forgive me of all my sin. And then let's all just find here in this text mission for life. Our church recommissioned, refocused on this. But all of us for our own lives following our Lord and Savior, our commander. Let's pray. In a moment, Pastor Andrew will close us in prayer. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be in the back lobby. Let's all respond to the Lord's message in prayer.